Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Today, Croatia is one of Europe's foremost party destinations, but that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Nick Colgan's Garden Festival was the event that pioneered the concept of the Croatian Dance Festival and has since become one of Europe's best-loved music events. Colgan's story is a winding and unlikely one. He's travelled the world looking for the perfect party, a journey that's taken him from his home of Birmingham in the UK to San Francisco, South America and eventually Croatia's Adriatic coast. Since Garden's early days, Colgan has been working with Dave Harvey of Future Boogie Records to help programme the event. And it's a relationship that's been at the heart of Garden's wide-ranging booking policy. As the Garden Festival edges towards its last ever event in July, Stephen Titmus sat down with Colgan and Harvey to chart its history and hear a little more about what the next chapter may hold. both please introduce yourselves and say your role at Garden Festival. My name's Nick Colgan and I'm the founder or co-founder, the person that started it all off I suppose back in 2006. And I'm Dave Harvey and I am the booker, the booker for Garden Festival should I say and um, I also wear several different hats, Future Boogie Recordings, Love Saves a Day in Bristol, The Wow at Glastonbury, and several other events. Man with fingers in pies, shall we say. I, I like pies as well. I never knew that. <laughs> so obviously we're going into the 10th Garden Festival, guys. The lineup's looking amazing. It's all looking brilliant. But you're going to stop. Why are you going to stop doing Garden Festival after such a successful 10 years in the game? Well, I'm definitely going to let you answer that one. Yeah, well, I mean, this, it, was, it really wasn't an easy decision because it's been, it really has been an event that every year surpassed the previous year but we just thought that 10 years is a long time with anything we've got a, a lot of things going on and and certainly from my my side you know I needed to concentrate my efforts on on other things that were starting to starting to move so it's simply a case of just too many projects going on and not really being able to focus your attention on it as much as you might like well yeah that and like I thought you know number 10 when's the next place number 15 <laughs> it's like that's another five years you know so no I think it really was it really was that for me it was that you know I mean, just just to sort of put the the sort of other side of it, when this idea was kind of sold to me that it was going to finish, you know, Nick was saying we really want to go out on a high. It's been fantastic. 
and we've got these other projects that we want to look at. And I was going, you are joking. We can't finish it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a very difficult decision, but I think it's the right decision. I think that this year is definitely going to be um, one to remember. So maybe go back to the start, to the 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, Croatia is obviously a very established festival destination now. Was that the case 10 years ago? To put it simply, no. I mean, it, you know, it certainly wasn't. I mean, there was a lot of stuff locally going on, you know, throughout the war years and stuff. There was quite a, you know, quite a good scene there, but there certainly wasn't any international scene there at all. And, I mean, we arrived there in 2004 and... The reason we did the first Garden Festival was to try and attract people over there to have a look at what we were doing, to be honest. So, no, the simple answer to that is that, no, we were the only people there then. And when you first announced that you'd be doing a festival um, in Croatia, what was the reaction from people back in Britain? What did they think of Croatia? You know, obviously, you've mentioned there was, of course, yeah. Yugoslavian wars and whatnot. Like, Well, I don't think it was an announcement then. It was a few phone calls to... To, to a few mates, to be perfectly honest, you know, and we said, look, we've been over, living over here, come over and have a look and bring your records with you. And that's kind of how it started, to be honest. You know, what we did when we first arrived here, we realised, in Croatia, sorry, we realised how beautiful it was. And I was totally ignorant to the fact that it had like a, over a thousand islands and a beautiful coastline and wonderful history and great sea and, you know, the the weather being. I was, we were totally you know, ignorant to that fact. And I just thought that it needed, you know, it needed something else, you know, there was something missing from it. And yeah, and that's how it starts. And we're going to talk a lot about that first party. Dave, you were actually at the first one. What was your involvement at the very first event? So basically my uh, my business partner, Steve, he already had a relationship with Nick DJing for him and so on. And he basically was like, yeah, these Brummies are starting this, this rave in, in Croatia on a beach. And I was like, what? And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going to go out and play. If you want to come out, wicked. And I was like, brilliant. Took my tunes with me. And uh, in a slightly uh, over-enthusiastic manner, was like, uh, any chance of a set? And got slotted in, and that was kind of how it all started. So you effectively blagged your way onto the lineup, boy. Yeah, basically, yeah. Basically, did, we, yeah. did we pay your flight that year? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Nick, you've got a really long history before all of this before Croatia working in the music industry and I've got, got limited time but you've got such a history I want to go into some of that you know um, so maybe first off you know you were in a boy band in the in, as a kid is this right <laughs> oh, you know yeah. I read this on the internet can you talk me talk me through this yeah, no, believe it or not. I, was, I was in a band called Boys Like Judd I was 18 years I remember I worked in a shop in Birmingham city centre and this guy called Barney Anyway, he came into this shop and he said, listen, do you play any instruments? And I said, no. He said, well, it doesn't matter. You look, <laughs> you look all right. Do you want to be in a band? And I've gone, well, yeah, of course. And, and anyway, we, that we, yeah, we set up, we started this band and we had the, the bass player was Martin Recky from Fashion. And anyway, we ended up with um, being managed by the Barrows Brothers who also managed Duran Duran and... And yeah, you know, we kind of almost made it as a boy band. So how did that end then? Because obviously, you, you know, you're not a pop star did, now. No, no, no. Well, I suppose, you know, we had, I can't remember, to be perfectly honest, how, how long it was. But uh, it ended when we all realised that we weren't going <laughs> we to make it as pop stars and we needed to get ourselves proper jobs. But you stayed in music. So yeah. what happened next? 
Oh, wow, bloody hell. I think UB40 probably happened next, you know. I mean, in the band, in Boys Like Judd, was the drummer was the drummer of UB40 and uh, James Brown, who I've worked with kind of all my life, really, I suppose, in, in music projects. And, um, yeah, no, I went to work with UB40 then. Well, I was working with UB40 at, the, at that point as well, you know, touring and whatever, in the studio and looking after their outside productions, like Star Company productions and... And old stuff and that as well, yeah. So from there, you know, um, it seems there's a period where you went to America. Like, how did you end up, you know, travelling to both South America and the USA as well? I went to South America with a band called Electribe 101 first, and we went to do this. We were working with ID Magazine. They had this, like, world tour thing. We were on tour with... I think with Graham Park and Nancy Noyes or something like that. And anyway, I went to we went to South America to, to do a tour over there with Electro 101. And I met a guy called Martin Guntad, who now runs Creamfields in Argentina. And I ended up staying there for like three, three, four years. And what were you doing over there? Well, we, yeah, we put on parties, basically. We put six parties on a year for guest jeans. And uh, it was called uh, Dance energy if i remember rightly <laughs> i think paul oakenfell was the first first guest we had paul oakenfell was obviously massive back then you know was it were these big raves or no 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 he wasn't massive back then i think we paid him 500 dollars or something like that <laughs> can i can i mention money sorry uh, it's, it's okay can. paul's being paid a lot of money now yeah, it's exactly. fine yeah, he's, he's... Yeah. <laughs> basically the guy that i work with he used to get a budget from guest jeans well, you know we, we just put on the production so it wasn't no it certainly wasn't about money and they certainly weren't big although they got bigger towards the end great and then i read that you ended up in san francisco um running yeah. boat parties how did that come around well my partner now eddie he married a girl from los angeles we well, get married a girl from so married gail and moved there oh, can't remember what year but yes so anyway they had a shop down on lower height called bulletproof and started doing these um boat parties around the bay area and then i kind of like went from south america up through san francisco and we met up again and and yeah started doing these boat parties amongst other things they sounded pretty special you know was it was they going around the kind of the bay area and no they were i mean they were really they, i mean it was they were really special you know and it wasn't just the boat parties we did these things at uh, a club called miss pearls which was right in the tenderloin and uh you're possibly one of the best clubs i've I've ever been to, you know. I mean, it wasn't really a club; it was a hotel or a motel, but uh, a very special place. And yeah, I suppose time timing's been quite quite essential with everything that we've done, you know. I mean, I, I, luck, basically. But uh, we kind of time things right. I have to say as well, they were definitely more legendary than he's letting on there because in the last <laughs> couple of years, when I've been in San Francisco. I have people who don't know that I know them talking to me about the bulletproof boat parties, and I'm a bit like, I know those guys, and they're like, no way, and I'm like, yeah, I do actually. Amazing. Yeah, no, they were they were they were totally legendary. I mean, every everybody, and you know, I, I couldn't list the name of the people that played there, but uh, a lot of people that were involved that uh, that made it very special. Amazing, and um, obviously, boat parties are a huge, huge part of the Garden Festival. What what is it about boat parties that engender such high spirits it would seem it's, it's the same with like i don't know like going on a on a bus tour isn't it i suppose it's like as soon as people get outside of uh of wherever they are then uh 
then they feel as if they can let go a little bit more. And I think even more when you're on the water, you know. And also as well, what you are, if you think about it, the voyages now for the Garden Festival, they're four hours long. Being four hours on a boat with 200 people, then you know you can't get off. Yeah, totally. It's, Captive audience is you know, a huge it's, part of it's, it. It's, it is quite special. It's kind of like when we first went and did them, we'd done a few parties in, in Bristol on, on boats, and it was kind of like we'd always be like, just add water, and then it's like everybody's just hyped up straight away and yeah. even, even more so at Garden. I think that, I mean the first year we did we I think we did two but two boat parties the first year. Last year at Tisno we did 54 boat parties last year which is quite incredible. I mean at the Garden we do 22 boat parties and I really can't believe it and we really can't get uh, a boat big enough, you know. So after San Francisco you moved to Croatia. Was that 2004 that you first went over there? Yeah, no, I came back from San Francisco. I went from San Francisco and I went down to the Baja Mexico and in 1994, got married in San Francisco and 1994 went back to the UK and then spent some time in the UK and then I was there for about three or four years in the UK and touring around again with UB40. And then, uh, yeah, we came to Croatia on a holiday. And it was at first just a holiday that you went there? Like, obviously, you stayed much longer. What made you want to stay? We were invited by a friend to come and have a look at a place, to, well, to come and have a look at his place, you know, to see his place where his family lived in this little village. And we were totally, totally ignorant, really, to how it was and... Uh, to, I mean, I knew it was part of ex-Yugoslavia, but I didn't know it was like on the coast. I didn't know there was a thousand islands. I didn't know anything about it, to be honest. And we came there and uh, had a holiday for two weeks and really, like, I don't know, fell in love with, with the place, the look of the place and the people. Obviously, staying there from a holiday, you ended up opening a bar. That seems quite, like quite a jump, really. It's not what most people do when they go on holiday and stay somewhere. No, everybody thought I was absolutely barmy, including my wife, really. To be honest, it was like, but I mean, I don't know whether you've ever been to the gardens at all, but we were taken to this this venue in, in the old town of Zadar on the walls, and it had been it had been derelict since the war. And uh, yeah, I remember going in there and just thinking, oh, you know, what a place, what a place to open a bar. Although I'd never run a bar in my life, tell you the truth. Had you ever wanted to own a bar no, before? No, no, nor nor my wife, or no, we hadn't got a clue. But anyway, we did it, you know, we, and, and what happened was we were given, we were there in the August and then we went back in the October to have a look at this place and then they gave us 10 days. They're going, look, you've got 10 days to make your mind up. And uh, I think if we were given any longer than that, then we probably wouldn't have done it, to be honest. And I've gone just, yes, let's do it. And Charlotte, you know, she is, I mean, she is possibly the... I'll be on every good man. <laughs> so the garden is a dar set up. It's the bar that you run. That's all going. Yeah. Again, it seems like a massive leap to start running a festival. You know, so so how does that no, come around? I'll tell, well, I tell you what happened there. What happened was we opened in two thousand and four in the summer. You know, all guns blazing and everything, and we had to we get the staff. This is a total like lounge bar with beds and everything, and there was nothing. Nothing like this in in Zad or on the on the Dalmatian coast at all, and we had to get the staff to actually lie on the beds to let people know that they could actually lie down on the furniture. So it was so it was then in two thousand and five we realised that hold on a second we need to. 
do something to attract people over to make it a bit more international, I think. So kind of the original one was mainly set up just as, as a way of kind of showcasing the area, really, like, like you had fallen in love with it. I don't even think we even thought that deeply about it, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, which, is, I mean, it makes me sound absolutely stupid, but, but no. What it was, we were looking for something different. We were looking for something different to do, maybe to move out of... Of Birm- we were in Birmingham then, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I love Birmingham, you know, it's it's my home city, but we were looking to do something different. I think that was more the reason for us entering into the bar game. Again, it's brilliant listening to you saying this now in a sort of like sensible one, because I've heard several different stories ranging yeah. from, yeah, we got there and we were like, we could do a bloody great rave here and, well, and so on and so forth, well, which well, I well, hope well, happened because well, that's the way I always... No, well, listen, I mean, you know, it's, it's always, isn't it? Whenever I go to a place, and, and it drives Charlotte mad, you know, whenever I go to a place, really and truthfully, I'm looking to see whether it's a good place for a party, to be honest, you know, and this was a great place for a party. What makes a good place for a party? Well, yes, it's, it's a great question. Great question. Well, first and foremost, the location. The location obviously makes a great place for a party. But moving on from the sorry, the gardens. I don't. I tell you what makes a great place for a party. Somewhere like Petrochina. Petrochina was like somewhere where you go and you fall upon. You know, you're not invited or you know, you actually like find it. Like I don't know, like by just walking around. I was walking the dogs, and you get there and you just think, Jesus, this is like something special. I want all my mates to come and have a look at it. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, that site, because, you know, as I said, when we went out there, we literally had no idea what to expect. We were like, a rave by some Brummies by the sea, okay. And we got there and it was just like, this is like something you might see in a film. Like, you know, yeah. you had the crazy sort of like 70s club, a beach bar looking out onto the sea. This but, it, but even that, sea. you know, I mean, I, what Dave said there, it's like, we, we really did this. We stumbled across it. I lived at the road. After us opening the garden, we realised that, well, not realised, we wanted to do a party, basically. and then we, But we quickly found out that the garden Zadar wasn't the place to do the party because of noise restrictions and the, you know, the people that lived, lived above us, let's say. But anyway, so we, I'd moved to this place called Petrochina, a little, little fishing village 13 kilometres away. And I was walking the dogs one morning and we saw this club that, look, there was me and Ed, Saw this like, it wasn't a club, like a circular concrete building. And I remember looking and thinking, what the hell? is? And this is on a, sorry, it's on a peninsula as well, like on a headland, which is like the most really, really quite beautiful. And then thinking, what the hell is it? You know, and then we've got, as we got closer, we'd like, we'd like, no, realised that it was, <laughs> it was a nightclub, you know, that hadn't been used for, since the 80s. It was built in 1967. And anyway, so Eddie's got, you know, let's go and get the keys. And we managed to get him off the director. And we got him off the director. I remember going in there and it was cool. I can't remember what it was called. But we've gone in there and this place hadn't been touched since like 1974 or something. I don't know. So you just literally stumbled across this disused nightclub in a, in a yeah. beautiful fishing village and you thought... That, this is the where place we that lived. makes a great and party. We lived there. We and you lived, lived there. And we lived there. I actually, I could walk to work. It was like, it was, it was perfect. And then we set about, yeah, and then we've gone, okay, well, let's, and then I've gone to the guy that owned the hotel who actually owned the club and that as well and said, listen, how about if we did, you know, a, a party here? And to my, you know, surprise, he's gone, yeah. And so we did one. Amazing. So the very first one, did it cost you a lot of money to kind of get off the ground and convince people? 
Yes, it, yeah, it cost. Well, no, it didn't cost a lot of money because what we did was just invited friends and family. But of course, the production and stuff still costs. And I remember at the end of it, I remember. It, I mean, we did se not several things wrong. Wrong. We did everything wrong. To be honest, I remember waking up the first morning. Or the morning after the first night, and Eddie phoning me and going like, "Have you organised cleanup?" And I've gone, well, "What do you mean, like organised cleanup?" He's gone, "Well, who's going to clean the site up?" <laughs> I'm going to have to cut in here because you did the exact same thing on the first year of Tisno, and there was me, you, and Eddie, well, and a couple of people who'd been up all night cleaning up that bloody beach bar. Well, for I think about I think it's good. I think it's good morning. for the soul for everyone to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds you of uh, the graft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I remember actually that, that that first year we had we had a refrigerated lorry that was calling down the booze, and he had to get off on the Monday morning, and it was a fish lorry. It was so the smell wasn't that good, and I, believe me, I remember having Luke Unabomber, Phil Cooper, the no faking lot, everyone like just unloading this lorry and like uh, and then having to leave the, on the afternoon after. So Dave, you you know you you said your original knowledge of this event it was just a crazy brummy that was running this event in Croatia. You came to the first one, you DJed. What did you make of it all? Well, I mean, uh, to be totally honest, that my sort of head was a bit knocked off the, by it because, as you say, I didn't have a clue what we were going to. I knew it was these two brummies, and that was essentially it. And it was on the sea, and then you know we got there, and there's this ridiculously beautiful little cove, a beach bar looking out into the sea this amazing club with the then not only the club but like the outside of the club with like these sort of like sunken dance floors and it, I mean it was like picture postcard and it was I mean it was everybody was like what the bloody hell it felt like I imagine people felt when they went to Ibiza first and they were like well, think, wow uh, what have uh, we discovered I think a really important thing to say here which I've hoped we've been able to keep for the 10 years that we've been going is the, the feeling there the feeling was it was quite special you know it's like a you know it was it was a family it was like a, a getting together of like a group of like-minded people that really every you know, like that you know everyone chipped in you know if there was something that needed to be done everyone did it there was no vip areas there was no nothing like that you know it's like was it all because it was friends of friends, basically, that had come there? Or? I think possibly that certainly had something to do with it in the, in the start of it. But then, like I say, you know, the following year then, it was like, oh, to be honest, me and Eddie, I remember me and Eddie sitting there in, we did it in June, actually. I remember sitting there in July and thinking, oh, do we really want to do that again? You know, or, you know, not because we had a bad time, but, you know, like financially, I don't know whether we could have possibly done it but then the feedback from everybody was like absolutely incredible you know so it wasn't a financial success the first one no it was a disaster <laughs> a financial disaster but to be perfectly honest it really isn't the whole thing isn't it's not financially pushed at all you know but it ain't about the money it really isn't about the money it's about the lifestyle i think i've got to say as well like coming from the punter's perspective you know i came away from that just being like Oh my god! Wow, that was like really special. I can't even remember how many people—three hundred people, something like that, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe slightly if more. That, yeah, yeah. But you know, pretty much everybody who I met on that trip—they're my really, really closest friends. And, now. and they're coming back now. Yeah, and they're still coming back now. And it, and it really was like everyone. It was just like collective experience of just like wow, mm. that is just ridiculous. So obviously, the first one went. You decided to do another one, even though there was you know questions. But yeah. when did the event start getting? Bigger, you know, when did it I'll feel you, like it started kind of taking I'll off? You, into I'll a tell you what happened in 2007. We moved it to July because we found out that it was just bloody too, the sea was too cold for a start, and we couldn't rely on the 
on the weather as much. So we moved it to July for 2007. 2008, we went from, I don't know, like a 800 people to a couple of thousand people. And then 2009, it got a bit, not out of hand, but so there was like, a, I don't know, three and a half thousand or something like that. And that's when we fought then. And that's when we like made a conscious decision to cap it at like two and a half thousand people because logistically it didn't feel right. It did, you know, it's like, and that's fascinating that you would cap a successful event because that's not what most promoters do when they're getting bigger. They they tend to go bigger and bigger. You know, yeah. was, was it? Did you feel that you, you would lose something if you went bigger? No, one hundred percent. You know, we, I mean, we'd we'd lose everything. I think if we went bigger, and we'd just become like a a one off event in, in a beautiful place. But what we wanted to do was th- at that point as well. There was people that were involved with us, like the Electric Elephant lot and or electric chair lot, a uh, uh, sound wave lot, that had been coming to our events and said, oh, how about if we do something? So we thought, well, hold on a second. If we, rather than us double our capacity, rather than the village take a, you know, rather than it be uncomfortable in the village, because that's an, another important thing, you know, you have to include the whole, you know, the people that live there. Let, how about we do more events? And that's, that's how it started doing. You also did one year... Where well, I say we, but I was involved by that point. Did the one year where it was over two weekends, which nearly killed me. But the double whammy. Uh, that was pretty, oh, well, I, that, that was, was pretty, my idea. Was what epic. a stupid idea! That was. <laughs> so, that was fourteen days. Of so like, hold on, take me through. The event lasted for fourteen days. Yeah, basically. We yeah. had two separate lineups, and I mean, it was it was just out of order. <laughs> I tell you, it basically. was the first year. It was after two thousand and nine, so everyone's got all three thousand five hundred. Too many people, and I thought, yeah, you're right, you're right. Let's do it over two weeks, but it didn't quite, didn't quite work. Well, it was, no, it, was, it was bloody brilliant. But no, it was, it was absolutely was brilliant. There was a lot of casualties. There was a lot But we kind of, of do the same thing now, really, with Electric Elephant. You know, we do that same thing. You know, it's the garden festival that goes straight in to Electric Elephant. So it's, th- it's actually 13, day, 13 days of partying. Yeah. So I suppose, really, though, when you started to bring in other promoters to, to that site, that really was the beginning of Croatia as more of an international festival destination when it wasn't just one festival, it was more than others. You were, yeah, no. you really were the first. No, 100%. We, uh, I mean, we did Outlook, fe- the first Outlook festival was in Petrochina. We did uh, Outlook festival in Petrochina and we soon realised that the, the guys were onto something special, but it didn't fit with, with our venue. It, you know, it really didn't fit with our venue. It caused us problems within the village because... Uh, Whatever reason, you know, it's like it was we, just a bit of a younger crowd, really, wasn't it? And well, they were a little bit rowdy, and you know, yeah. Well, they know. tagged the church door for a start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that didn't go down well with the priest. <laughs> There's a bang on the door at six o'clock in the morning. Do you know, like ZD? <laughs> I'm going to who the hell's that? But that's really interesting as well because you, well, certainly your festival has remained very a very good relationship with the local community. How have you managed to do that after 10 years? Because that can't necessarily be easy all the time. Well, I think I, I really do think that the most important thing with everything, if you look at everything that's going on now in, in, uh, in Christ, event-wise, I mean, we live there and I've, I've lived there for, the, for 11 years, so it's my home, you know. So I kind of understand how the local people feel, you know. And we've always really... It's always been really important to to include them, you know, and it, and it is important to include them in 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 every decision and in every. I mean, of course, you're not going to please everyone all the time, but it's important to include them. And and rather than them think, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to take a load of money and then run off, you know, that's like uh, 
I mean, also, you know, it definitely has to be said, you know, we were discussing this earlier, the crowd that you get at Garden and the other events on that site and the general vibe means that people just don't tend to misbehave. As, as I said earlier, last year there were a few, we'll call them scallywags, who I knew from other events around the world, who were all there and I was a bit like, ooh, and they were good as gold all weekend because the thing about it is if you misbehave, you really stand out and I think that yeah, it just yeah. creates a real... Like a level. It's self-policed, isn't it? Yeah. Really, into the you know, it's like oh, you know, like security and and stuff like that. It took us a while to get that right, to be honest. You know, like it's you know, at first, they, you, you know, certainly on the on the club. You know, bar, I remember when we first opened Barvel, it's like you know, they just wanted to kill everybody that came in. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It was like, you know, it's like oh, hold on a second, like a little smile or something like that. And then I remember Charlotte. Charlotte bought more pink t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> And they weren't having it, you know, they weren't having it, tell you the truth. So we're skipping on a little bit now. We're talking Sorry, about, obviously, yeah. we're talking about Tisno and, and how you moved to there. But, you know, that's probably worth some explanation now because the current garden site is the second garden site and it's very yeah. different to the first one. How did you, again, how did you stumble on that, stumble across that site? I think uh, that's a story in itself. No, but again, you know, stumble, stumble, well, stumble, we were kind of like, but we didn't want to leave Petra China, number one. And we didn't realise, we, we didn't know that we had to leave there until I think it was the October, it could have been the November. So we were already in the flow. So basically all the events were in the flow and we hadn't got a venue. So what we did was we invited everybody over, all the promoters over for like an emergency meeting. So I went, all right, lads, well, we haven't got a venue. And, and in the meantime, Eddie and myself were up and down the coast looking for looking for a new place, which is where we found Barbarellas, which was the new Barbarellas. Because at first we found this place and thought, well, maybe we can do it there. But we were kind of like, I suppose a bit like, you know, like, you know, not maybe we can do it there. It certainly didn't feel like us finding Petrochina, you know, it was like it was, we would have been a bit pushed. But then I remember it was the, the Wednesday afternoon and I remember getting a phone call from Eddie and he couldn't even speak. He was like, he was like, seriously like... And he really couldn't speak. I go, but Ed, like, you know, take a few few breaths. He's gone, and then eventually he's come out. He's gone. I found it. I found. I found the place. And I go, oh, where'd you go? So anyway, I jumped in the car and drove down there, and uh, and it was it was incredible, really. I suppose it's important to kind of say what the actual the garden festival site's like, you know, because it's quite a in the best possible way, quite bizarre. It's like an ex-military, like kind of no. holiday camp, or is it? Yeah, well, yeah, it was owned. Uh, yeah, well, that was the that was the next hurdle to jump over, really. I mean, what it is, it's in its own, it's in its own bay, in, and it's also in a natural lam- amphitheatre. So, so we don't affect anyone with like noise or or anything. There's no residents. It's got for the first time it had its own accommodation on site. So we've got eighty apartments. We've now got Airstream trailers and uh, Shikar tents and stuff. You know, like it was, like a, it belonged to a company called, it still belongs to a company called Ina, which is an oil company, and it was where their, all their families in the socialistic times had their holidays for generations and generations. So, yeah, so it is kind of like a, you know, it's an odd place, but an amazingly beautiful place. So the... Barbarella's Club in Tisno is an absolutely amazing venue. Like, to, for my money, one of the best clubs I've probably ever been to in terms visually and many different reasons. Well, uh, how did you? Thank f- you for that. Well, I'll second that. Second that. 
How did you find it though? Because it's not. It wasn't a. It wasn't a club at the time. You kind of stumbled across it again. It was when we were looking for the for a new venue. You know, we had Barbarellas in Pechichana, which was on site basically. We, I mean, the whole festival was built around the club. You know, and we felt it important that I don't know the, the club is always different to a festival. You know, so it was impo- always important for us to to have that. And then, but when we found the Barbarella site now, the, the in Tisno, that was where we were first thinking of doing the festival. We've got another five thousand square meters at the back of that, and we were thinking maybe we can get away with it doing it there. And but it wasn't right. Well, it wasn't big enough for a start. Mm. Um, but anyway, so then we found Tisno. When we found Tisno, we then we thought, well, hold on, we haven't got Barbarellas. And then I've gone to Eddie. I've gone. Well, listen, how about the place where we first looked at? Let's uh, let's turn that into a club. You kept the name Barbarellas between the two venues. Um, yeah. Why why was that? Well, originally the first club that we ever went to, me and me and Eddie ever went to, was it, it was called Barbarellas in Birmingham in the seventies. So we must have, I don't know, it must have been seventy seven, something like like that. Uh, but it was like you know, it was a, an amazing place where I, I would get in one week and then I wouldn't get in uh, the next week, and then I don't know. We wanted that connection with Birmingham and stuff. It was owned by uh, my friend's dad, Eddie Future, who was the king of Clubland, and we decided to you know keep the name and Nicky's logo as well. He wasn't really happy about that. Well, he was actually. He was all right about it, but I had to tell him. So one thing I do want to say about Garden Festival generally, it seems like the bookings are quite well thought out. The, the music policy in the daytime is quite Balearic and things like that. Has that been a conscious decision over the years or, or is that something that's just, you know, you, that's the way you think you should do it? Well, uh, uh, yeah, definitely very conscious. The setting lends yeah. itself to, you know, that style of music, which we've, Definitely got to start getting people to start terming Adriatic for the future, but for the minute we'll go with Balearic. But yeah, no, the setting is, you know, it's like, it's, it's perfect for that sort of music. You know, we've had times where I've had my uh, wrist slapped, shall we say, for having a little bit too pumping music on in the daytime, essentially because we're trying to include as many people as we can. And for some people, it's their only set of the weekend and they're like, this is my, you know, yeah. headline slot, whatever. But generally, People get it, and it's. Yeah. Sorry, I mean this. I'm quite excited about. It. I mean, Dave suggested that we, you know, that we do like a an early morning thing, you know, from six till midday, which is a scary thing for me, you know, on a logistical side, you know, because we've got like people trying to clean up the site, and generally as well, things can kind of get messy, and at that time of the day, on a, on a you know, on a on a festival side. But, you know, the, Dave suggested and spoke to the International Field guys and they've programmed the Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I think. Just right? Saturday and Sunday. Just Saturday and but Sunday. But hopefully you'll be there on Friday trying to set up. Alv will be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm really looking forward to it. Like, so total ambient uh, music, you know, on the beach and stuff. And which I think, you know, it's like it's the perfect setting for it's it. Gonna, really. it's, I'm personally really excited about that. I spoke to Mark from International Field about it and he was like, I really want to do this chill out session. And I was a bit like chill out we've got to come up with a better term than that but yeah i kind of get it and we sort of discussed it at length and uh i think it's going to be amazing oh, yeah, and everyone wants to play it of course yeah that's kind of what i was getting at there you know because I, I you know i go to a lot of festivals um but you very rarely see programming that's thought out in a way that 
takes away from DJs playing big beats at festivals and things like that. You, you know, a lot of, um, I'd say, you know, 40% of your programming is thinking about playing relaxing music during the daytime, which is very unique for a, a festival. Do you know what? I'd, li I'd like to sort of take credit for that, but actually Electric Elephant are very similar. They're in a, in yeah. exactly the same way. They've got a very similar. But I think ethos. it's the venue as well, isn't it? You start, you start, you know, I mean, and I think also the, like DJ, DJ wise, you know, I think they really enjoy the fact that they can go down there and play wherever they want, you yeah. know, and that's like a, it's, you know, that's no, a big it's, thing. It's brilliant. You know, sometimes those sets can be like, you know, up there with the, the club sets because it's just, you're looking out on that sea and you're playing some bloody... Well, exactly, you know, the, like club, the club as well, the club for me. For me, the club, because it, the first time ever it was outside of the festival site, it meant that people had to go that seven kilometres, whether it be by road or by boat, which what a great way to get to, to the club. But, you know, but it was seven kilometres outside the event. For me, it was like a, I don't know, like a, it was like a breath of fresh air. So it meant that you could be all day on the festival site... Or, you know, and then you can go home, have a bit of dinner or have, you know, get changed, come down to the festival site for a bit and then go out. It was like, it's, you know, it's like a breath of fresh air, I thought, you know. And I think the DJs are like as well. And, 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 and the club nights for me are very, very special. What's been your favourite club night in the new setting? Because obviously there's been many, many options. You must, you guys must have a favourite. Well, I'm going to have to say future boogie. <laughs> what else can I say? But no, but seriously, future boogie, I think it encapsulates what we're about. You know, it's not about big names or, or whatever it means. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, I've never seen as many people in the DJ booth, uh, you know, in, in all my years. But, but there's been so many, you know. Now that Nick's luckily saved me from having to blow my own trumpet there, Craig Richards last year was yeah, literally no, was... out of order. And like, Everyone was in there, and there's all these like proper seasoned DJs and pros all just literally losing their shit on the dance floor and being like, "This is this is amazing," and also, and, and being know, part of that is is and you know a lot of the, with Sunset Beat and that you know a lot of the American DJs. It's really nice seeing them getting like really like you know Kerry Chandler loves playing there, and and you know I don't know. There's been so many people that have played there, and no one's come away going, hey, "I tell you what, I don't want to play there." In fact. We are, it's probably it's problematic now getting them to play on site. You know that everyone wants to play the bloody club. You know, it literally, it's one of those situations where DJs just naturally up their game, and like you know, everyone who we have playing at the festival is a really good DJ. That is, you know, we don't just put people who are names; we put people who are bloody good DJs. But in that club, everybody is like they up their game, and now loads of people will play things that they probably wouldn't play anywhere else because they might be like, oh, it's not quite cool enough or whatever. But in there, it works because it is that, it's that special. And one thing it's probably worth clarifying for people who haven't been to this club, we haven't really even said this, it's completely open air. So when... Yeah. It's a know, garden. It's a garden. But when the sun comes up, you know, you obviously get a really special moment and, you know, I've heard some great music played in, in those scenarios as well. It is a very unique place to be playing, I, I, I guess, all in all. Definitely. And I, I think that, you know, that outdoor thing, the sunrise thing, it means that, you know, it can go from like absolutely banging having it right off to like really kind of groovy and interesting for the last sort of like hour or whatever because 
the environment, the situation lends itself to doing that, and it's it's it's, it's magic. I, think. I mean, look, even the bus journeys from, <laughs> from the site to the club are interesting. You know, I mean, I've had some great times. The buses are bus. great, but I have to say, it's all about the speedboat to the club. Like literally uh, on, on the speedboat. Bond. No, but it's just like you're just on it, going, "How the bloody hell are we getting away with this? This is yeah, ridiculous." Yeah, 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 yeah. So one thing I do hear a lot of people say, I'd be really interested to get your thoughts. A lot of people say that Croatia is the new Ibiza. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but what do you, what do you guys think? You know, I certainly, I mean, I don't agree with it. You know, I think Ibiza is Ibiza. I mean, it's a, it's a great place and a beautiful place and uh, with so much history and, and, you know, and, you know, so much going on now. I think Croatia, I think I can, under, I can kind of understand where people start talking about it because I don't know what the first, year I went to Ibiza was uh, 89 I think I was in Ibiza and is that kind of vibe I suppose where everything's a bit like uh, but you can't compare they're no no they're two very different, different animals it's completely like completely different Ibiza animals. as you say is Ibiza plus the other thing with Ibiza is you have such a huge concentration of the same well, I mean, how many people roughly. go to Ibiza I mean I haven't got a clue but millions upon millions upon millions whereas what we do in Croatia is is kind of like it's you know, they they come because of what's going on. I it's suppose. still like Croatia is still very specialist. Actually, if you look at the lineups that are over there, you know, even like your high darts, which is probably the most mainstream, I guess you'd say, uh, from the British promoters. You know, I don't even know how big high dart is, but it's not. If you know, like the sort of the masses can't go and see fifty of their biggest DJs in a week within the space of 10-15 minutes drive you know it's only kind of like one offering at a time so therefore you know Croatia is, it doesn't have that sort of like critical mass and to be lot, like Ibiza and it's a lot cheaper it's a damn sight <laughs> cheaper as well I've been to Ibiza a few times this year Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah I, I suppose they're all really good points I, I, what I often think when people say it, it's like Ibiza, I think they 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 think it's like the Ibiza of the eighties or something like that. When it, where the, the frontiers are all new and 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 there's lot and there's open air clubs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, do you know you know what though? The, the the majority of people that say that never went to the early Ibiza. You know, it's like you know they, it's this kind of myth that they've heard about. Uh, so then, so they haven't got anything to compare it to, really. You know, you know. But no, there's 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 definitely parallels with that kind of you know. I mean, you can't. Is there an open air club in Ibiza these days? I don't think it no, exists, does it? Or okay, like yeah, that. But, but I mean, but it's very different. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. But one thing that I I do find really interesting about Garden Festival, and you know, you you can talk about it in loose terms like vibe and things like that, but but I do find that the crowd are very well behaved, and a, a good example would be last year I was there on your. Uh, Secret Island Party, actually when, you know, it's it's so for people who don't know, the Secret Island Party serves food and things like that. And at the end of it, I think it was you, Dave, and Soul Clap guys were like, okay, everyone clear up. And it, actually everyone did clear yeah. up after themselves, yeah. didn't leave any litter. That's very rare to kind of get that it at is. a festival. It is, but I think in that instance or that situation, it's such a special thing and it is totally unspoiled before we get there. It's like the old days of free parties, you know what I mean? You'd go to these free parties and it'd be in the middle of nowhere and it'd be trash by the end of it because everyone's like chucking their cans around. But then at the end, everyone would get around together and clean it I mean, all up yeah, and you'd I mean, leave and it, you wouldn't even be able to know that people had no, been there. exactly. I mean, we're talking about 300 people going somewhere to, to party for the day and everybody's aware, you know, and I love that. I really do, like, you know, because if, look, if it didn't happen, 
then we, we, we wouldn't be then. able to do it again the following year, you know. It's like, so everybody <laughs> is, it's like, uh, it is like, it's quite lovely to watch. It to is really good, honest. it's really good. It's funny because the guys who we know from Burning Man, Disco Nights, who were coming to do a boat party this year, like Burning Man is completely like zero tolerance of any kind of litter or anything, even to the extent of fagash, you know what I mean? And they're kind of like, what are you guys up to in England? Like, they see photos of Glastonbury and they're like, what on, you know, like, yeah. how has it got to that? And it's, I think with things like Glastonbury, there's always been like a safety net of people cleaning up after people. Well, safety net, there's been an army of people doing it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But in Croatia, yeah. on that secret island or whatever, it's, it's, it's less, you know, that that isn't there. So people are more responsible. It seems easy now you're saying it to kind of, you know, encourage people to do these things, but most festival promoters don't do things like this, you know, like what makes you think that, you know, you have to go the extra mile? You know, it's, you can... it's probably Eddie running around <laughs> shouting, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. You know I mean? Put that away! Clean that off! No, uh, do, do no. you mean in terms of like going and doing a party on an island? Or yeah, whatever? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, okay. yeah. Yeah. That's always come from uh, Nick and Eddie because they're like, oh, Dave, bloody hell, you won't believe this island we found. And I'm like, you what? You want to go and... Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll tell you about the secret island. I was invited by... The mayor of Tisno, the mayor of Shibenik and the mayor of Murta, which is the island, for me to go and have a look at, at certain venues and stuff. And then we got and we got to this island. The mayor of Murta is, I don't know, he's only 28 or something. And anyway, they took us to this venue and it was after we'd found Tisno. It took, it took us and we just got, oh, can we do a party here? And he's just gone, well, yeah, as long as you clean up after, you, <laughs> after yourself. It's you know so as simple as that. And it is, yeah, no, it really was as simple as that. And I think, you know, I think it's, Look into the future. I think it's something that we need to, we want to offer more and more because it, it's not so much like a, a weekend event. This is like a, you know, it's a holiday with a musical backdrop for one of a better. I have to say, without blowing too much smoke up your ass as you sat next to me, but I, I love that about you and Eddie. The fact that, you know, for example, when you went to Petrushana, you're like, you know, we could do something really amazing here. And, you know, when you went to that island, most promoters don't do those things. They literally don't because it's kind of like they've ticked all the boxes that they need to do. But you're almost as excited now as whenever. Well, and right. you see these opportunities. You're like, I mean, I'm the same. I go place, I go, oh, I could do a great party yeah, yeah, yeah. here. But it's, I've always found it very inspiring about you too. Sorry. Thank you very much. <laughs> much. <laughs> Funny enough, um, I remember last year on that secret island party, like the mayor was on that, Boat himself, you he know. I, I, I can't imagine Boris Johnson going to fabric. Yeah, the mayor of Boris Johnson, the mayor of Murta and his mate were on that boat, and you know what they were trying to do? Convince me to have it on another another place that they found that was bigger. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know whether we could have more people. Was, was that know. the place that was a monastery or something like exactly that? Exactly that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, come on, <laughs> watch like, this space. Well, yes. <laughs> So yeah. I think we're getting from this conversation that pretty much any place you go, you think how good the party going to be is going to be there. Yeah, I suppose that's the way. <laughs> I, that's the way I think. Yeah, or you know, the party or the vibe or the you know, like the yeah. So clearly, since you started doing the garden ten years ago, there's been a massive influx of, of festivals in Croatia from all all areas of the world. Do you think it's sustainable the the kind of increase in festivals that are going on in that country? I think it is, you know, but there's, of course, you know, you know, everything can reach saturation point. But, you know, I mean, but look at Ibiza. I think, I think what you've got to do is kind of define yourself or, you know, like kind of like create your own little niche as such, you know, and, and then do what you believe in and, and carry on with that, you know. Like, look, 
what's good will carry on and what's bad will fall by the wayside, basically. I think the last few years, actually, have, have kind of proved that there is a, you know, there, at the minute there isn't a ceiling on it. There is a, the sort of market and whatever, and also the space for the different events. Because at present, actually, all the events have got their own kind of identity and whatever, and you've got, like, the bigger events like Dimensions and... Um, Sonus Sonus. but then you've also got the smaller events that you don't have to be like you know smashing out thousands yeah. of there's also hip hop events now they're exactly. starting as well you yeah, know yeah, so it yeah, seems yeah, like you yeah, know yeah. it's becoming a much wider thing than no yeah, exactly yeah. you know you know, it's like, uh, you know we want to do a beer festival yeah. yeah amazing you know. I guess generally uh, um, you know and you would have great insight into this you know how do you think it's changed the image of Croatia the uh, this festival because of, you know we talked I mean, 10 years ago people might have had connotations about you know the U Yugoslavian war and things like that. now it's a party destination right yeah so, well I mean I suppose it's one that Dave could answer more than me because I mean I live in Croatia yeah. but what I mean what I yeah there was two major things I think you know it's like number one was opening up travel to to get to the coast in Croatia but yeah, I think people were generally a little bit kind of put off about, you know, what happened in the, you know, the 90s and stuff. But once they got there, then nine out of ten, they come back. And I think, yeah, it's the party destination. It's like, it, I mean, it's quite a I mean, the thing, the, the thing it, about it? it is, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why it's become what it has. And it, I think it's like ranges from the fact that in those early days, it was so cheap. You could get a flight for 100 quid, you'd get accommodation for 20 euros an hour, or 20 quid, whatever, a night, you know, and it was ridiculously cheap. So, therefore, it just spurred on a load of people to come out of there, even just to give it a go. And then once they got there, they were like, bloody hell, wow. And then I think what's now happened is, you know, if you want to go and listen to the biggest house and techno DJs in the world, and that's your thing, you can go to Ibiza and that's catered for, but it's really expensive to the point where it's prohibitively expensive for a lot of kids, whereas yeah. you can go to Croatia and you can still afford it. I mean, it's got more expensive, but you can still afford it. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, that more specialist music thing, like Dimensions, or you're not going to go anywhere else in the world and get that sort of programming and, and well, range and the, of... Uh, you know, and the venues as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, the, the venues. And, and, and the the location, the, the landscape, everything about it, but just in almost like a practical sense, it's like... Yeah. You know, we obviously discussed this is going to be the last Garden Festival, but Nick, you're not retiring <laughs> or hanging up your boots, you know, you, you, you're still going to be busy. Can you say some of the projects you're working on? I'm running off to Mexico. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, the place is now opened a uh, brewery, uh, like a craft, craft brewery in Dalmatia. The reasons, I mean, and I've been, I was probably two years trying to convince Dave that this it was the right way to go and, and, and also what we do after. But I think, you know, it's like what it, what, what I needed to do was like free up my time to, to look at other projects that I was working on and stuff. But it doesn't mean to say that the Garden Festival stops, you know, the Garden Festival as it is stops. But then, you know, but we'll certainly carry on into the future. And uh, can you give a bit more information about they, how that's going to work? Gonna, we, I think we should mention Mexico. Plans for Mexico. Well, okay, yeah, we can mention. Yeah, we can mention Mexico. I mean, for you know, for again, we were looking at doing a, a tropical garden. We were looking at doing, and we went to the Philippines. And a friend of ours has a, a great festival over there called Malasimbo, and we went over there and we had a look 
but logistically would have been an absolute nightmare. But now we may have found a place that we can set up something for, I don't know, December, January 2017 in Mexico on the, on the Oaxaca coast, which we're quite excited about. I'm going over there for a couple of months at the end of this year to have a look. I'm well excited. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. But I, no, I am. I'm really, really, really excited. And, and is that going to be somewhere that's going to be you know, easy to get to or not? Or is it a bit more well, off the beaten track? No, or? I mean, it's certainly off the beaten track. I mean, it's, it's, there's no direct flights there for a start. I've never been there and that's why I'm going out there this year. But you have to go via Mexico. So it's not got that kind of, you know, it's not like a, a one-stop shop, let's say. But I think now, with certainly with our connections with San Francisco and the Disco Nights and the LA guys and stuff, you know, I think it's time that we started to have a look Further, af- further afield. And the fact that when I sort of I spoke to a few people who would really like to get involved in it and I went, oh, you know, it's like it's six or seven hours and they were like, six or seven hours, that's nothing. And I'm like, right, okay, well, that's definitely the spirit we're looking for. And I suppose, you know, the, the million dollar question is, is, is what happens next at Tisno? Because I know the Sunshine Beat guys are carrying on. There's going to be a garden-shaped hole. Are you guys going to carry on doing something that, you know... Well, perhaps- I mean, there'll never be a hole, really, and truthfully. You know, it's the start of the season. And, and of course, you know, we've we've already filled that hole. And I think, I suppose Dave should uh, fill you in about it. <laughs> yeah, OK. Yeah, as Nick said, like, a couple of years ago, he was, like, going, oh, yeah, you know, like, oh do you want to take over and that? And I was a bit like, well, yeah, cool. You know, thinking that he meant as garden, you know, continue. And I mean, we do quite a lot of the sort of like pre-event work anyway, obviously booking and all the rest of it. Then last year he's like, right, next year is going to be the last one. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, no, that's it. That's it. That's it. And at the time I was like thinking, oh, you know what, I'm just going to let him have his little moment and his wobble. He's obviously <laughs> just having a wobble. And then it's like, you know, a few weeks later, he's like, look, look, you know, you need to take it over. And I was a bit like, I don't want Garden to finish. Garden is like, in many ways, been the making of me. I met my wife there, you know, my future wife, should I say. I, you know, I've made some of my best friends. You're like, getting married there? You were getting married there. You know, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want this to end. Please, can you reconsider and he's kind of like just gone on and, 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 and he said, look, you know, essentially you're doing a lot of it anyway. It's a logical progression. You know, you're as much a part of it as, as, as we are now. And, and, and so but I kind anyway, of went, we decided in the end, we decided. In am the I going end. on? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, no, you weren't going on. You were, you were going in the right direction. But I think what we did in the end, we decided. But what we decided to do was to, to carry on, you know, to carry on things. But like under Dave's... Uh, Flag bearing yeah. leadership. So, 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 do we have a name for the for the new event? The name is Love International, and I it's kind it. of like I love, a, the, I love the name. Shout out to Tom Payne for coming up with that one. Love International, um, and it's you know I'm really looking forward. To it. It's the, you know the same team involved, and it's going to be you know it's going to be fun. So, in the way, it's the end of an era, but also the, the beginning. beginning of an era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. going but, out with a bang and then starting off with another bang. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's in that it is. You know, very much like a natural forward progression. It's the only way forward. It's that special that I certainly don't want it to end and neither does anybody else. I mean, I spoke to a lot of people. I spoke to a lot of DJs who come and play for us, friends who came and play for us and told them kind of like unofficially because I wasn't supposed to be telling people that it was finishing. And I said, what do you think about us taking over? And they were just like, fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, who else is going to do it? And, And with that, 
sort of enthusiasm, then we were like, okay, cool. Because at one point I was like, it's a bit of a poison chalice, that, because no, garden not. is so magic. How are you going to fill the boots of that, you know, a week, a year later and be like, oh, yeah, cool, it's brilliant. But, no, well, fingers it. crossed. No, it is. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be special. <laughs>